Thank you for listening to this podcast brought to you by Reach Life Church in Asheville, North Carolina. Our mission is changing life by making, growing, and unleashing gospel-centered disciples of Jesus. For more information, resources, or to connect with us online, visit www.reachlifechurch.org. Hey, so we are continuing in our study through the Gospel of John. Uh, We call it the Gospel of John because it's John's account of the Gospel. It's John's telling of the life of Jesus and what Jesus has done on our behalf. That's why we call it the Gospel, because it's great news. And we've been taking now, John. we've seen that John has kind of slowed down and began looking at these final days before Jesus' crucifixion and is really focusing in. And so we're only a few days from the crucifixion um, here in the Gospel of John. Next week, just so you know, next week we're going to begin a pause again in the Gospel of John to focus on not the death of Jesus, but the birth of Jesus. And so for four weeks, we will be looking at uh, the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, through different eyes of people that were involved in that historical account. So I'm really looking forward to that, and I hope that you will um, maybe bring some family members who might be in town with you and anybody really that needs hope. Anybody that needs forgiveness, anybody that needs Jesus, because he gives forgiveness, he gives hope. So that'll be the next four weeks. But today we are uh, continuing in the Gospel of John and picking back up again in chapter 12. And I want to start by kind of exposing my soul to you. Uh, (laughs) uh, Many of you may know before uh, traumatic brain injury, I was a church planter. And it's when you start a church from scratch, and I didn't know people did that. Uh, before I before I were one, I didn't know that uh, that people started churches. I saw churches kind of always existed, you know. And going into church planting, man, I was like, you know what? Uh, what's the the pastor's job is to be all about Jesus and to teach people about Jesus and to be focused on building the church of Jesus for Jesus's glory. And then I actually became a church planter. And when I became a church planter, I started going to conferences and talking to other church planters. And these conferences were crazy. There was like thousands of people in there, and they were all church planters. And all of them were more seasoned in ministry than I was. And like their books were like at the bookstore and on Amazon. And they were telling these stories, all these people coming to faith in Christ through their ministries. And whole communities being changed by the glory of God. And I was walking around like, poof. Wow, I'm never going to be able to match up to these dudes. Like, I all of a sudden, I was going into church planting really bold for the gospel. And then I got around these people and I felt really small. You know, like I'm not going to be able to accomplish anything. And look at all these, look at what these dudes are doing. And man, they're, they're smarter than me, better looking than me, been at it longer than me, more gifted than I am. And I, I began to like question, can I even be a church planter. Did God really call me to do this? Because I don't have the same gifts those guys have. You know? Um, that's how I began to feel. And um, I, like I said, I just felt, I felt small. I felt like I couldn't live up. You know what I was dealing with? I was dealing with a thing that we call the fear of man. The fear of man. Um, maybe you've been there. Maybe you have dealt with the, the fear of man. <laughs> before. Thankfully, God, in his great wisdom, has written a book for us. It's called the Bible, and we're going to turn to it now in John chapter 12, and we're going to see that uh, what's happened is Jesus, remember, has entered Jerusalem now. He's approaching his crucifixion, 
And we see, we're going to see in our chapter today, our, our uh, text today, that people have come to believe in Jesus and put their trust in Him, but because they're dealing with the fear of man, they don't confess Jesus. Okay, John chapter 12, we're going to pick up in verse 36, and most of you should have a heading in your Bible kind of that splits verse 36. Y'all know that the verses are, are made up by folks, right? Like God didn't put verses in there, okay? Um, so we're going to begin in 36b, right? The second part of 36, which is probably after a heading there in your Bible. I'm going to read through verse 43. It says, When Jesus had said these things, he departed and hid himself from them. Though he had done so many signs before them, they still did not, did not believe in him, so that the word spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Lord, who has believed what he heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? Therefore they could not believe, for again Isaiah said, He has blinded their eyes and hardened their heart, lest they see with their eyes and understand with their heart and turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said these things because he saw his, that's Jesus, he saw his glory and spoke of him. Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him. But for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it, so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. For they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. Yeah, somebody said, ouch, right? Yeah. Um, it's those last two verses that I want to focus on today because people believed in Jesus, yet they were more afraid of the religious leaders because they loved the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. But before we focus in on those, I want to quickly address something in verses 36 through 41. As you read it, you might have been like, uh, that's kind of weird. Let's just talk about it. We don't dodge the hard stuff as Reach Life Church, right? Uh, because you may have caught it in verse 40. It says that God kept them from believing. You see that? Did you see that as we went through? He, bl he blinded them, right? You saw that. So how do we make, what, is, what does that mean? <laughs> how do we make sense of God not wanting people to see? Um, a good way to decipher a Bible passage is to look at the, the who and the what and then ask the why question, right? Uh, so let's do that. Let's first look at the who is being mentioned in this passage. Well, we've got the Pharisees and God, right? The Pharisees and God. For, let's deal with the Pharisees first. What do we know about the Pharisees? As we've studied through the Gospel of John, what are the Pharisees like? They have been counter to Jesus at every front, have they not? They have been going in the absolute wrong direction. They have um, really, truly uh, become Jesus' enemies on purpose. I, I gave a message uh, about that back in September called Blinded by the Light, and we explored the nature of the Pharisees, and we saw that their, their blindness was willful. It was willful on their part. Okay, so that's the Pharisees. God's also in the passage. What do we know about God? Well, quite a bit, thankfully. <laughs> thankfully, we know quite a bit about God. But the important thing for us to keep in mind here is that the Bible is very clear. For, this won't be coming up on the screen. But, for example, in passages like Ezekiel chapter 18, verse 23, that God does not delight in the punishment of the wicked, 
And he desires that they all turn from their ways and live. And in passages like 1 Timothy 2, 4, it says, God, our Savior, desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Okay, so God, who desires all people to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth and does not delight in the, uh, the destruction of the wicked, here has kept some people from seeing. Why would God do this? 1 Corinthians 2, 8 tells us why. It says, if they would have seen, they would not have crucified Jesus. If they would have seen, they would not have crucified Jesus. And hear me, if Jesus does not die, no one can be saved. Right? Nobody. Jesus is the sacrifice that must be paid for our sin. If Jesus doesn't die, no one can be saved. And these men, these religious leaders, are the men who are going to go before the Roman government and say, crucify him. Right? These are the guys. These are them. But remember, in verse 42, read with me, it says, Nevertheless, many, even of the authorities, believed in him, right? So, apparently this blinding thing wasn't a permanent deal. God did give these men opportunity to believe, and he did, many of them did believe. So God wanted to accomplish the salvation even if these cats, right, the people who would crucify Jesus, the leaders, many of them, it says, believed. Um, so we're grateful for that. But here's the problem in our text, and here's where we want to focus today. Even in those who did see, those who came to believe, there's a major problem. They've seen Jesus' miracles, right? We, we remember that miracles are a sign to confirm the message of the Messiah, They've seen these things, and they've put their trust in Jesus. Yet again, let's look at verse 42 again. Many of them believed, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue. So, see, if they went public with their their faith in Jesus, there are social ramifications for that. There's a problem for that. Um, they, these, the other Pharisees had the power to put them out of the synagogue. They, there, there are, again, uh, reputations that are at stake. If you've been kicked out of the synagogue, how does that look on you? If your family doesn't accept you because of who you put your trust in, in Jesus, how does that look on you? How do you, how do you feel among the people that you love? Um, so they don't publicize their faith. And it, the Bible tells us there why they didn't do that. Because they love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. You know, if you were to just read that in isolation, it would sound crazy. How could somebody really love, I mean, really, can somebody love glory that comes from other people more than glory that comes from God? Really? Does that really happen? Some, every day, right? Every day. Now, it's not just these dudes in, in the text, is it? It's called the fear of man, and it's what we're going to talk about today. Uh, like I said, it's something that I wrestled with back in uh, 2010 when uh, I became a church planter, and at that time, the Lord um, had me hear a message from a, a pastor in Texas at Church of the Cross, and he, he really used that to help me, and I'm going to take a lot of what he uh, put together, to the Lord put together for my soul from that to help you today. I hope, hopefully, those things will be helpful to you. The fear of man, if you're looking for a definition, 
if you're a note taker, is a deep, unhealthy concern about what others think of you. Qualifications, deep and unhealthy concern about what other people think of you. It's sort of a, con- a controlling thing. It controls, um, it's a fear, it's a, it's a desire that's unhealthy. It, it uh, makes you want to seek people's approval so much that it determines what you do and how you act and what you say and even what you think to a certain degree. You, you need to be admired by people, for example. And it's okay to, to want to be admired. That can be a good thing, but do you need to be admired? Um, maybe you just desire to be included. That's a good thing, right, to be included? But the question is, do you need to be included by this certain group of people or with this certain person? Um, that's what the fear of man is. And again, those things are legitimate desires uh, in, and, in and of themselves. Legitimate desires, for example, can keep you from sinning, right? The, the, the desire to not... Um, uh, be rejected or the the desire to be accepted can keep you from sinning can it not if you're in a good peer group it can keep you from sinning man what you know what are my parents for example I don't want to disappoint my parents well I remember uh, when I was when I was coming up um, my fear of rejection kept me from doing things that were really stupid so I would just have Brian Black do them for me that's what I would do Brian I would say Brian you know what you should do <laughs> This is going to be hilarious, right? This is what you should do. And Brian would say, yeah, that sounds great. And Brian would do it, right? So sometimes, you know, um, not wanting to look stupid can be a good thing, can it? Just, just leave it to your best friend. That's, what, that's how that works, right? Um, but the problem with these, thing, with these good desires is when they're misplaced, right? Or they're un- excessive or they become controlling. When you need the approval of a particular someone, or maybe sometimes me, like with the church planters, people I didn't even know. I walked into the room and felt like I'll never measure up to these people. I don't even know them. I don't even know them. But I felt this amazing, amazing pressure. This is a fear of man, and soon we'll start to define ourselves by it. Um, uh, in that message I mentioned, the guy mentioned a book. I want you to listen to the name of this book. When People Are Big and God Is Small. You know the book. Ed, Ed Welch. It's, and God must have wanted to drill this book into my head because later it became one of my textbooks in school. And then when Pastor James and I were talking about this passage, James brought the book up. When people are big and God is small. And so I'm going to ask you a few questions from that book, okay? We're just going to go down the list. It's got kind of gut check time. We're going to test ourselves for the fear of man. Let's just break them down. Do you need something from others so that you become emotionally dependent on them? You ever need something from somebody else so that you become emotionally dependent on that person? Do you expect a lot from people? Not, not desire a lot from people. But do you expect it? You expect a lot from people. Do you crave compliments? Do you, do you crave them? Um, do you, like, for example, do you feel the need to tell people something that you did or something that you have in, so, in hopes that maybe they'll, you, you have to post it on social media, 
right? New shoes. Or, you know, like you, you feel it. And, and, and what happens when somebody doesn't like it or on Facebook or love it on Instagram? Do you feel sort of less than? Oh, man, maybe those shoes weren't really cool. <laughs> or maybe my vacation wasn't that great. Maybe this food at this restaurant is really awful, you know. Like, the, the opinions of other people, do you need or crave their compliments? Do you need people's approval over you? Do you hear what's behind this question? Do you need glory from other people? Do you need the, the glory that they can give you? Um, does it determine how you feel about yourself when people don't give you the glory from them are you afraid have you ever afraid that you might be exposed as an imposter so what that would look like is you spend a lot of time managing your reputation and how people see you you spend a lot of time crafting those things people's impressions of you you're afraid that one day you might get exposed and so so you start manipulating how people view you, right? You become an advocate um, for, for yourself. Um, you're afraid you might lose the glory that comes from people. Are you overly concerned with how you look? Maybe how much you weigh or how you're dressed. A good way to analyze that is how much time do you spend in front of a mirror? Some of us... Need a little more time in, in the mirror, I think. But, but, but okay, so, so think, think of it this way. Scroll through your social media. How many pictures are selfies? Duck lips or you know, whatever they, they call that. Duck face, whatever it is. Right? How, how many pictures are of you? This is me. There's like this awesome view behind you, but this is me, you know? Are you overly concerned? With that, do you think a lot about your self-esteem or your self-worth? Another way to phrase that is: Are, are you thinking? Do you think a lot about your glory a lot? Do you need other people to supply what you feel is lacking in your own sense of self-esteem? You need glory from them. Do you feel underappreciated? You know, I do all these things, man, and man, people just don't notice. Um, it's okay to, to want people to notice, but do you need people to notice? Do you ever make excuses for your mistakes? Maybe you justify your behavior in some way or shift the blame to somebody else because you cannot handle the idea of failing in front of people because you know what happens when you fail in front of people? You lose glory with those people. You know what? So a good way to analyze that is this, when somebody confronts you on something, what's your first response? What's your knee-jerk response? Is it, oh, wait, or is it, okay, <laughs> let me listen. What's your knee-jerk response? Um, do you show favoritism? You know, a way to show favor, to, the reason we would do that and the reason this falls into the fear of man is because we give glory to other people hoping that we get glory back, particularly people that we think can give us glory. 
That's what favoritism is. Favoritism is the fear of man. Are you overcommitted so that you can't say no to anybody? I, listen, I can raise my hand on, at some point on almost all of these, and that's why it's so quiet in here right now. Because <laughs> all of us can, right? Am I telling the truth? Realize I'm rowing in this boat with you, okay? This is, this is heart check time. So are we overcommitted so that we can't say no to anyone? Um, C.S. Lewis kind of talks about this and why we do it. Um, he says this. Sorry, for I'm always quoting C.S. Lewis, but he's my dude. Um, yeah. Who else is C.S. Lewis fan? Somebody else who said, all right, folks. I knew I loved this church. Okay. Um, Men tell not only their wives but themselves that it is a hardship to stay late at the office or school or on some bit of important extra work which they've been let in for because, you know, they and -and so-and-so are the only two other people that know what's going on and how this place is ran. That's not quite true. It is a terrible bore to have to sit in meetings, a terrible bore. Ah, but how much more terrible if you were left out? It is tiring and unhealthy to lose your Saturday afternoons, but to have them free because you don't matter, that is much worse. So a lot of us are so busy because we have a need for glory. We have a need to feel like we count, and so we overextend ourselves. Do you get easily embarrassed? You might, you might think, well, and I'm an introvert as well. So, well, you know, I'm, I'm, just, I'm just shy. Well, pause and think about your motive. Why do you get easily embarrassed? Is it because you might look funny in front of people and therefore lose some glory? Just think about it. Why do you get so easily embarrassed? Somebody has maybe removed a little of the shine off of you. Um, you know, do you get, again, get nervous when you stand in front of people? The question is why? Is it because you're an introvert and that's hard? That's fine. Okay, me too. But is it because I'm afraid I'm going to be embarrassed by something? And if I'm embarrassed, I lose a little shine. I lose a little glory. Do you compare yourself with other people and you only feel good about yourself when you win and you feel envy when you lose? Or maybe you feel less than when you lose. Okay, so that's the end of my list. That's enough, isn't it? Brutality, right? Brutality. Right? A few nerds with me know the Mortal Kombat reference. Thank you. Yeah, my, my man. I hear you. Okay. Um, so what we're doing here is we're defining ourselves by other people. We love the glory that comes from man. If we're honest in our hearts this morning, we, like those Pharisees, those leaders, love the glory that comes from man. We do. We love it. Um, but, you know, like uh, Lecrae said, when we live for their applause, we die from their rejection. When we define ourselves by other people. Um, the truth is our idols own us. They do. And I'm telling you, You may have already felt it in your soul. The fear of man is a beast of an idol. It really is a beast of an idol. It's a a controlling thing. It'll it'll even warp the way you see reality. It'll 
the fear of man, the fear of losing glory will, will make you act all kinds of crazy, man. It'll make you justify all kinds of things that you never thought you would ever justify in somebody else doing, but you can't even see that it's wrong for you because you've justified it for so long. That's what the fear of man does. It changes what we see as normal and good and appropriate. You know, most of us have some sort of damage in our lives because of the fear of man. Maybe in your life, think about this, maybe there was a time where you made a compromise in your life morally or spiritually, because you needed the acceptance of a particular group of people or a particular someone. Um, And we all know what those types of compromises lead to. Guilt, shame, hiding, um, covering those things up so we don't feel the guilt or shame or have to hide. Um, Some of you may be drowning in debt because of the fear of man. Groaning, right? Yeah, some of us, you know, in my neighborhood growing up, it looked like this. Like, dudes would have, like, just a sweet car, banging system in the car, and it had that, right? Tilt, like, hydraulics on it or whatever. And on empty. They can't afford to put gas in the thing. You go to their house, and their house, you're like, man, y'all live in, like, a cracker box. Why, why were they driving a car with rims that cost $5,000 in 1992, right? It's because the car is what you see. The car is what you see. The new Jordans are what you see, right? It's, it's about that glory. It's about having the shine, the glory that comes from men. Uh, maybe you've uh, been like these people in our text, you've been ashamed to voice your trust in Jesus. You're afraid of what what people might say about you, having put your trust in Jesus. Like my man Park says, they want you to sleep like a sedative. You look around the room, you know you're the elephant. People are talking about you. You don't want people to talk about you. And you know if you say the word Jesus at Thanksgiving dinner, they're going to talk about you. So I'm just, you know. I don't want to lose that glory that comes from man. If I'm going to get, if I give glory to God, I'm going to lose the glory that comes from man. And you know what? I really love the glory that comes from man more than the glory that comes from God. I hope we can see that we're a lot like the people in John 12 today. Um, the thought of losing glory for them was enough to say no to God. Enough to say no to God in front of them. Jesus, God in the flesh, right? So we need to ask the question, why do we struggle with the fear of man so badly? Why is it that we're so addicted to glory? Why are we so hungry for it? I'm telling you, you were built for glory. Does that sound weird to you? Usually we're like, it's God's glory, you don't deserve it. No glory to you. But what if it's God himself who bestows glory on you? I'm here to tell you that's what you were made for. There are two kinds of glory, and we're going to have to make a decision. We've got to choose between the glory that comes from men or the glory that comes from God. 
we have to make a decision. You were made for not the glory that comes from men. You were made from the glory that comes from God. Think back to our first parents, Adam and Eve. When God made them, he made a pronouncement over them. He said they were what? Very good. God approved of them, did he not? He looked at Adam and Eve and said, very good. Very good. Not perfect. Only God is perfect. Very good. God approved of Adam and Eve. And Psalm 8 tells us that when we were created, we were crowned with glory and honor. Can you imagine? We're made for that, but we've lost it. That's why they call it the fall. We have fallen from glory. God made us glorious beings in His image. That's why we have glory in His image. We are fallen. So group participation here. What happened when Adam and Eve fell? What did they do? What was their response? What did they do? They hid. And they covered their bodies. They made fig leaves. When we lose glory, we hide. And we make fake substitutes for glory. We make fig leaves, you guys. We make, now we don't like make fig leaves, right? We don't like, people might know then, like, oh, you lost glory, right? Um, what we do, what we do is we begin to focus on our outer beauty, our wealth, our, our perception of, people's perceptions of our wealth, um, or our social status. When we pursue those things in an unhealthy way, it's because of the fear of man. It's because we've lost glory we're trying desperately to get glory back. And so we make up fake glory. That's what we do. We love the glory that comes from man, and sometimes we love the glory that comes from this man, ourselves. So we put glory on ourselves, right? We give ourselves glory. When we do that, when we look to other people to bring healing to us, when we look to ourselves to bring, we give ourselves approval. You know, only God can judge me. And so that means you're setting your own rules, right? Um, what you're looking for is for those people, or even for yourself, to be Savior. You're looking for people to save you. I hope you can see major problems with that. Well, first, we're expecting people to do something that they can't do. What happens when you put expectations on another person that they can't possibly live up to? They're crushed by it. They're crushed by it. I'll give you some, some concrete examples. Parents, um, maybe you're putting a weight on your child to live up to something glorious so that you can vicariously through them experience that glory. Maybe it's an athletic something or an academic something or an art something. Whatever it is, you're like, you want that kid to accomplish something to make you significant. I'm here to tell you they are going to be crushed by that. They can't be the source of your significance. They can't. Um, husbands, wives, maybe people in dating relationships. This can even happen with your, your group of friends. You look to those people or that person as the fulfillment of your happiness. Listen, nobody can live up to that. 
Nobody can live up to that. You will crush them. You're going to put demands on them that only God can fulfill. Only God sustains. Only God gives joy that lasts. And when you look to another person to give you joy, they will fail and they will be crushed and you will be left empty. We can't do that. We can't seek glory from other people. Secondly, not only can they not do that, live up to those things, but all people are broken people. So think about it. We are broken people looking to other broken people to give us fake glory. This is whacked out situation. Do you guys understand? Thankfully, there is a place where we can be made whole. There is a place where all of this can be healed and that's in the gospel of Jesus Christ because the gospel crushes the fear of man. The gospel crushes the fear of man. And I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going to tell you how. There is a glory that will satisfy. And it's the glory that comes from God. Think about that for just a second. That statement. That God, God would give you glory by saying, I, God, accept you. It's not about whether these people over here accept you or how much you accept yourself. God says in the gospel through Jesus, he accepts you. If you put your trust in Jesus, then the all-powerful, all-holy, all-knowing, God knows your heart. And that's not a great thing for you right? or me. God knows us, but in Christ, he has chosen to accept us. In the gospel, God restores the glory to us that we lost at the fall. See, this is what life is supposed to look like. We're supposed to live in relationship with the creator God himself who shines upon us and sings songs of delight over us because our relationship is unbroken, right? That's what the gospel restores. That's what fake glory can never restore, where the, the moth eats, or the worm eats, and the moth destroys, Jesus calls it, right? Fake glory. Um, and all you have to do to have that relationship with God is to bow under the offer of greater glory. Now, check it. When we bow, we don't look glorious, do we? We bow before the glorious one. That's how we're restored. And that's when God says, I love you. That's when God says, I accept you. That's where God says, you are mine. And remember when Jesus was baptized and he came up out of the water and what did the father say? This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. If you have put your trust in Jesus, you know what the father says to you? You are my beloved son or daughter. Because of Jesus, I'm pleased with you. I accept you. There's no false glory needed. You have real glory in Jesus. This is God who flung the stars into place, who wrote the self-replicating and correcting DNA code of your body. This is Jesus who currently holds all things together. 
He's the one that says, I accept you. Yet why in the world do we look for the glory that comes from man? Why do we love the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God? I want to say here, pause real quickly and just address something. Some of you, most of us probably at some point in our lives, have had our dignity, our worth kind of stripped from us by things that have happened. Right? It wasn't us looking for fake glory. Maybe um, you're abused by somebody looking to bring glory to themselves. Maybe you were abandoned by a person like that. Um, you're lonely because of somebody seeking glory that comes from men rather than glory that comes from God. Um, the gospel says, God says, those things don't define you. They don't. The God of glory defines you. And if you're in Christ, he says you are his. You're his. Listen, that's freedom. That's freedom from the fear of man. Do you realize that? We don't have to be a slave to the opinions of other people. We can be free, and in Christ, God says you don't have to live up to this false, plastic, photoshopped, Facebook, fakeness image that people want you to live up to, man. You don't have to live up to that stuff. God says in Christ, I protect you. That's freedom. And here's the, here's the thing that was key to me, and I don't want you to miss it. When we, um, when we love the glory that comes from man, rather than lo- loving the glory that comes from God, we are in a prison. We're in a prison. And when we become less preoccupied with ourselves and more preoccupied with the glory of God, then we're free. This is going to come up on the screen. God does not satisfy you by giving you great thoughts about yourself, but by filling you up with a great sense of awe of himself. That's how God satisfies you. That's how we're set free. That's what life's supposed to be. That's joy. That's freedom, the glory that comes from God. So here's what can happen. God can change your heart so that you're not, you're not so concerned with, you know, I, I, I need... I need glory that comes from people to where your glory is like the most important thing to you and you live or die by it. But know what, what your motivation is. You know, I want, I want God to be honored. I want God to be glorified. And let me tell you something, he will be. And you'll find peace. You'll find wholeness. Anybody need some of that? It's yours in the gospel. It's yours in the gospel.